Hey, South Bend City Church, Mariah here, the Director of Art and Worship. We're so thankful that you chose to join us today, and we're so grateful that you're a part of our community, whether that be long distance or local. And thanks so much for listening to the podcast today. A couple things before we get into today's teaching. If you're new here and want to know more about our story, what we believe, or how we operate as a community, or if you want to meet some of the staff and others who are new to South Bend City Church, we wanted to let you know about our new South Bend City Church table happening on November 5th. This is in person at Studebaker 112 after our second gathering. This is an opportunity to learn more about us and ask questions that you may have. Lunch will be provided for this, but the child care will not. You're more than welcome to bring your kids, but please make sure to keep an eye on them. Because we provide lunch, we need to know how many people to expect. And by the way, this is the last new to South Bend City Church table happening in 2023. So don't miss it. And if you want to be there, head down to the link in the show notes below to let us know that you're going to join us. As always, if you consider South Bend City Church to be your home, you can give. It's through your generosity that we're able to exist and that we're able to show up as a place of grace and peace for the city and for the world. So if you want to give, you can do so by going to the link in the show notes below. And once again, we are so grateful for your generosity, both in finances, but also in time and in your involvement in our community. All right. So this weekend was our last weekend spent in Romans for now, because by Jason's math, we still have three and a half years left. But we're going to take a pause through the rest of the year. We have a mini series coming up and then we've got Advent, but we'll return to Romans in 2024. But today we explore the power of the spirit. As much as Paul sees sin and death as possible forces with a life of their own, he sees something else with a life of its own, the spirit. So this weekend, we explore how Paul explains the spirit in Romans and what it could mean for the things we're suffering. Thanks again for joining us. Let's jump in with the rest of our community now. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, my name is Jason. Uh, I'm our lead pastor here at SBCC. Uh, if I haven't met you, I would love to catch you um, after the gathering. Uh, also, one more reminder, um, after the gathering today, our open table is happening up in the mezzanine. That's a, like a zero commitment table space if you'd like to be a part of it once, or you can come every second and fourth Sunday or anything in between. It's also like a BYO thing, so if you want, you can run out and grab some Arby's or something and come right back. Uh, but there will be a table meeting up there that anybody is welcome to join for a meal and some conversation right after the 11 a.m. gathering. Uh, you're very welcome there. Uh, as uh, Mariah has pointed out, we are in a letter called Romans that comes from the New Testament. We've been um, studying it for a while now, trying to hear what it might say to us about who we are and what we are here for. Uh, if you've been around, you've heard me say some of this already, but just to catch you up to speed, a guy named Paul is writing from Greece. This is roughly 30 years-ish after the life of Jesus, and he's writing to a community of Jesus' followers in the city of Rome. And it seems that Paul is concerned about protecting something for them. Um, it might be that he just understands that there are dynamics within their community that are challenging their unity as Jewish believers and Gentile believers try to figure out how to belong to one another. And there are some historical details that might explain why that would be so hard for them. We've talked about that in the past few weeks. It's also perhaps the case that he knows that there are false teachers working their way west across the Mediterranean world and that they're going to corrupt the beauty and the truth that is making this community possible. And so he wants to preempt that attack by sending this letter. Either way, whatever's going on, it seems clear that Paul like, is very passionate about protecting something for this community. 
that there is um, something precious and sacred and alive and beautiful and good and redemptive happening in their midst. And he writes this letter to protect it. It's almost like the, the image that came to mind to me this week is like, if you're outdoors for like a, like a fire, like in the fall, maybe you've been having some bonfires, and you know that when you start with a little bit of kindling, even though fire can spread wildly, even though fire can be so powerful and take on a life of its own, in, in those early moments, you kind of have to protect it against the wind, right? Like that, that very same fire that has a power and a life to it, in those sort of nascent early moments, you might sort of find yourself uh, cupping hands around it to protect it from the wind. I can almost feel Paul doing that with this letter. And the question is like, what is the fire? What's the thing that he's so passionate to protect? And what we've observed for the last few weeks is it seems like in the middle of his letter in chapters 5 through 8 is where he really comes at us with the, the heart of the thing that he is trying to protect. Which is why we skipped over a lot of chapters like 1, 2, 3, and 4 where he does some of the protecting. And we're going to come back to that later. And we've landed in the middle of the letter where we're trying to understand what he is protecting. And that's what we've been trying to hear. Now part of that message that he's protecting that we've already paid attention to suggests that he sees that like, things like sin and death have a life of their own, that they have their own energy and power and agenda, whether, it, whether it's like in our personal lives or whether in the world at large, this is not hard for us to imagine, I think, that we, that we come up against the limits of our capacity for love, for right relationship, for truth, for fidelity, and it can feel sometimes that we are up against a gravity or a force beyond us that drags us away from those things. And it's not just personal life, right? Uh, last week we paused the Roman series and spent a whole Sunday talking about the tragedies that have been in the news in the past week, um, the attacks committed against Israelis, and then the absolute um, devastation occurring in Gaza right now as Palestinians are suffering from um, a lack of electricity and water and bombardment and what seems to be um, like a really brutal punishment being inflicted against them. And so we took time to talk about that last week, not in spite of what we're talking about in Romans, but really because of it, because Paul's talking about sin and death having a life of their own. And we, two weeks ago, asked questions of ourselves about what our conscience is telling us about the world around us and what the Spirit is speaking to us, grieving things like sin and death in the world. Uh, if you missed last week's teaching, um, I don't often do this, but occasionally I'll say, like, please go back and listen. And I'll say that this week. If you find the Southland City Church podcast, uh, it's just such an important conversation for us to have. There's a lot of dynamics at work in the world um, that we're a part of, whether we realize it or not. And so um, with regard to what's happening right now, uh, please go back and listen to that episode. But today we're going to pick things back up in the book of Romans. Because as much as Paul seems to believe that there's something that we're up against that's bigger than us, these forces that he calls sin and death. He also very clearly believes there's another thing at work that's also bigger than us, that's for us. And here's how we kind of come to park the, park the reading on Romans 5 through 8 and see where he lands all of this. So let me start here in, chapter, in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. The way he comes out of it here, he says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus... The law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. The law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Paul's going to spend a lot of time in Romans 8 talking about this spirit who gives life. Uh, maybe you've heard of Christians talking about the Holy Spirit. We're going to go there today. Now, when I tell you that we're talking about the Holy Spirit, I wonder what you think or feel. 
I wonder uh, what experiences or impressions or backgrounds or fears or hopes or meaning you attach uh, to these words, Holy Spirit. Maybe you've been in spaces that talked a lot about the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've had experiences that you would attribute to the Holy Spirit. Maybe this is all brand new to you. Maybe it sounds very, very woo-woo. I don't know. Uh, But I wanted to open it up for a minute and just check in, kind of gauge the room. When you hear Christians talking about the Holy Spirit, uh, a few words for what comes to mind. Anyone? God's voice. Thank you. What else? Be careful fixing your hair during this moment. I might call on you. (laughs) What else? Yeah. Helper. Helper? Awesome. Thank you. Helper. Yeah. A mysterious wind. A mysterious wind. Nice. Thanks, Ken. Yeah. What else? Sorry? Guiding light. Comforter. Comforter. A presence, love, God within. All the way back with Daniel. Peace. Peace. Yeah. Thanks. Grace. Nice. God, sorry. Say it again. In me. In me. Nice. Yeah. Diana. A cosmic cuddle of deep loving conversation. Amazing. Yeah. Yes, sir. Unpredictable. Nice. Nice. Yes, sir. Joy. Joy. Amazing. Fulfillment. Fulfillment? Yeah. Nice. Conscious? Nice. Nice. Yeah. Well, I have to admit, this is twice this morning that the people of Southland City Church have surprised me. Because sometimes you all walk in here like these angsty, deconstructing, hipster, post-evangelical millennials with all your baggage and all your negative experiences and impressions. And I was going to try to make room for all of that. And then you guys have all this wonderful, beautiful things to say. And I love that and affirm that. But just in case you didn't raise your hand and you have other thoughts or feelings about the Holy Spirit, I'm going to try to widen the aperture just to make sure there's room for everyone here. Okay? Um, Just my own background. Like when I hear the Holy Spirit mentioned in Christian spaces, I have conflicted feelings, to be honest. Um, I actually grew up in religious settings that mostly had doctrines to sort of rule out the Holy Spirit. Um, the technical language for that is like a cessationist view of some of the gifts of the Spirit and all that. And I, some, some of the spaces I grew up in had doctrinal stances that basically ruled it out. So we might have kind of talked about the Holy Spirit, but it was, it was pretty dormant at best, you know. Uh, then from that upbringing, I found myself in another environment that was pretty big on the Holy Spirit in ways that frankly were kind of terrifying and spooky to me. Um, first, like the, the first movement that I experienced there was like, again, growing up, like not really hearing much or thinking much about the Holy Spirit to a space where it seemed that the way I heard the Spirit talked about was that the Spirit had a fairly obsessive concern with talking me out of or making me feel guilty for any of the hormonal experiences I was having as an adolescent. <laughs> that that entire sort of area of human life is just suspect and the spirit is there to make sure you don't entertain any of those feelings at any time, right? Uh, I sometimes experienced um, expressions of the life of the spirit, uh, like speaking in tongues is an experience that some people have had and find a lot of meaning in. And being around people who were experiencing that for me early on was honestly, it was quite terrifying for me. Felt very strange to me. I have a different view of that today. I'm not going to get into that now. Um, uh, have you ever had somebody like bring a word from the Lord for you? Yes. Yeah, you know, when you're a pastor, that happens more often. 
And I got to tell you, sometimes I just want to be like, I think if the Lord wanted me to know that, he'd tell me, you know? <laughs> I will say other times, those words have been profound and deeply meaningful for me. So I, I'm not trying to like just take one side of this experience. Um, what I'm trying to tell you is I feel like I've been all over the board on um, the idea of the Holy Spirit, the idea of um, God's presence and active work in our lives um, from not really having a view toward it to being a little bit spooked by other people's expressions and experiences of it to coming to a point where I'm like, I don't know what to do without it. And one reason I would say, like, I don't know what you would do without it is if you're trying to take the way of life that Paul is talking about seriously, if you're trying to opt into the view that he brings or the life that he's portraying, you're not going to get very far without it. Like for him, it seems very central to what he's saying. Because on the one hand, we are up against sin and death. And it feels like we are trapped in these things. And we keep coming back to these things. And sin and death have a life of their own and a power of their own that's bigger than us. But on the other hand, he says... There's this other thing at work, this other possibility, this other promise. He calls it the spirit who gives life. Now, let me take you a little bit further into Romans. Just note the way that Paul talks about the spirit and note what the spirit does. This is really uh, important to get here. In chapter 8, verses 11 through 17. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Take note of that connection for Paul, that it's the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead that he's talking about living in you and me, right? Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Time out here. By the way, um, I've said it before. I've said, I'll say it again. I, we're not actually taking an approach to Romans where we can teach every little detail of the letter because that really would take seven years of Sundays, and I don't want to do that to you all. Uh, I, I have not carved out time to fully work out what Paul is doing with flesh in the letter. Let me just say this, and you can take my word for it or not. He's not saying that your body is bad. Okay, that's really important. He's not saying that, that somehow being in a physical body, like with the flesh that you are wearing, is opposed to the spirit. He's doing other things that are more complicated that have to do with Jewish relationship to the law and the inclusion of Gentiles. It's very complex, and we're not choosing to go all the way into that right now, but please don't hear this text and think, apparently this body that I am in, this flesh that I am in, is opposed to the spirit. He's doing something else. Good enough? Cool, thanks. Uh, next slide. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship and daughtership. For uh, by him we cry, Abba, which is the Aramaic word for father. Abba, father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Now we're going to come back to that strange note about suffering in a minute here. Um, but first, I just want you to like hear a couple of big movements there. Paul seems to think that the spirit that he's talking about, that, that, it, that is sort of the, the other part of the picture, over and against all the sin and death that we are up against. He thinks it's that, that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, 
There's a power there to overcome death. And that, that one of the fundamental things the Spirit does for us is like speaks within us and says, you are a beloved child of God. That in some strange way, you almost hear a voice speaking from within you on behalf of you, addressing God as a beloved and trustworthy parent that like brings you into an experience of relationship with God that says, I find myself in the presence of God, not as a stranger, not as an alien, not as a foreigner, not as a beggar, but as a beloved child of God. Like that, that's the kind of work you can expect the Spirit to do. Now, we said it before, I'll say it again. For Paul, all of this, I don't think it's theoretical. Um, when you read something in Scripture, assume that before it became uh, thought or written, assume that it was an experience. I mean, Paul experienced all these things, I think, that he, that he writes about. He experienced that sort of resurrection power when he met Christ on the road on the way to Damascus, that in the voice of a body who he thought had died, and by the way, who he had written out as being against the work of God, he finds Jesus speaking to him with the voice of God from a resurrection presence. So he, like, he's there firsthand having this experience of a resurrected Christ. So of course he would write that the Spirit raises us up in that because he's been there and seen it himself, right? And then this experience of... Um, the adoption of daughters and sons. Paul, who at one point in his life had every reason to think that it's only the Jewish believers in God who find themselves in the household or family of God, has seen the Spirit at work among the Gentiles, has seen the fruit of the Spirit demonstrated among the Gentiles, has seen God actively bringing all kinds of people from like the widest possible array of difference, all kinds of people together in this common experience of belonging of embrace with God. I don't think Paul writes any of this if he hadn't experienced it for himself. But that leaves you and I here wondering, like, what about us, right? Uh, this is one of those sermons in particular where, I mean, this is always the case, but in particular today I'm like, I don't think a sermon does us a lot of good if it's just um, me up here talking about some big ideas. Because the, the real invitation of this is, like, life with the Spirit, of a kind of like opening in your own presence, in your own heart to the very idea that he's talking about so that you might find yourself listening to that voice within that says, I too am a beloved child of God. So that you might find yourself like discovering that there's something with you and for you that's more powerful than all the sin and death that you feel like you were up against. So I want to talk a little bit about like a few basic ways that this might be real for us. Um, I have this spiritual director who I find really profoundly wise and helpful. I meet with him like once a month. And a couple of months ago, we were sitting together and we were talking about um, some of these things. I am of the disposition where like one of my temptations is that I think that if I've thought about it, it's the same as if I've done it. <laughs> Anybody else like that? This runs the gamut for me from like, you know, I can read a book on a subject and think that that means that I have the same knowledge of it as somebody who's lived the subject matter of that book, right? Uh, I'm not proud of this, it's just my tendency, right? I even can think about an email that I'm gonna write someone and then it's like I wrote it to them. You know, you know what I mean? Like, and later I'll have to remind myself I didn't actually do the thing. Um, and I think my spiritual director knows this about me. And he was gently kind of exhorting me into the idea that, like, it has to be lived. It has to be intended. It has to be a conscious choice to go along with these things. And he said to me, he said, Jason, he said, it's the practice. I said, yeah. I, thank you, Philip. I know. Yes, thank you. I know. And he says, Jason. It's the practice. So, yes, yeah, amen. Yep, that's right. And he says, Jason, it's the practice, it's the practice, it's the practice. And I was like, don't you goodwill hunting me, man. Like, don't do it to me. 
But he's right, and I think he knew that I needed more than like an intellectual assent to these ideas. It's the practice. Um, it does no good to read Romans and to have big ideas about the spirit if we aren't finding our lives grafted into that experience. And that, like, that's, that's the heart of all this. I don't, I don't care if you can pass a test on the book of Romans at the end of all of this. What I care about is that the same life that he is protecting for that church is protected for our church, that the same fire that's burning for that church burns for our church, that the same good news is put on flesh here the way it was put on flesh for them. And so just a couple of like basic starting points that I have found helpful and that I've learned from others can be helpful if you want to like take seriously the idea that this actual presence, this gift of God's life is with you right now. Uh, I'm going to offer this in, in three sort of basic movements. Uh, first, this is so rudimentary, it's going to be frustrating to you. If you took five minutes a day to sit and breathe deeply and simply try to focus your awareness on the idea that with every breath that you breathe in, you're breathing in more than oxygen, that you're breathing in spirit. If you took five minutes a day and just decided the only thing that matters for those five minutes is a sort of present awareness, a sort of conscious attention to the idea that with every breath that you breathe in, you're breathing in more than oxygen, that in some way that is a mystery I don't fully understand, you're breathing in God. That the same spirit that raises Jesus from the dead is with you and working through you. And for five minutes a day, you simply sat with that awareness and consented to it and tried to find different ways in your spirit to say yes to it. I suspect that five minutes a day over a period of time would do more than you listening to every sermon I've ever preached in the history of South and City Church on speed. Like, there's something to be said for simply being present and consenting to that presence. And you could start doing that today. You could even set a timer. Find a place to sit that feels uh, safe and appropriate. Ground yourself for a moment. And like for five minutes, if you did that for, I don't know, say a month, uh, I'm not saying that the roof of your house would be lifted up and that you would levitate. I do think you would begin to develop uh, a relationship to this promise of the spirit actually here with us right now. You might even discover that the spirit that cries, Abba, Father, is, is actually speaking that in your life. That there's something rising up within you that seems to come from beyond you that names your own belonging and belovedness there with God. Um, that, that could be a, um, a very accessible, simple start to all of this. Uh, if, you, if you long for like a little more like structure, something to kind of get your hands on, Romans 8, which is the chapter that we're looking at today, invites you as a really great starting point for a practice known as Lectio Divina, which is just fancy Latin for sacred reading or divine reading. Uh, Romans 8, again, we have it on the screens. Uh, you can find it online. Uh, better yet, if you want to grab a Bible in the corner, feel free to take one home if you don't have one. And you could just open Romans 8. And I would recommend um, read it slowly and wait until you find a word or a phrase that stands out to you. And simply like sit with that, again, for maybe five minutes. Uh, meditate on it. Listen to it. Go slowly enough to ask, like, is it not just words on a page, but a spirit within you that's speaking something to you, maybe searing those words of adoption and belovedness into you? Uh, Romans 8 might be a nice way to get your hands on something that feels a little more concrete than just you sitting with your awareness uh, and the spirit, right? Well, I have one other offering for you uh, that I'm really excited about um, that might be really helpful for any of us who want to take this seriously. And it has to do with the practice of contemplative prayer. I was talking this week uh, with a dear friend of mine who's a member of our church, Barbara Young. And if you don't know Barbara, um, she's a remarkable woman. Uh, she's, um, she's in her 80s and has the energy of somebody in their 30s. And uh, 
uh, Barbara was a, a, a pastor for years, uh, most recently here in the area, uh, retired now. But she and I had this long conversation about uh, a practice that you might call contemplative prayer. And that might sound uh, really sophisticated to you or it might sound really desirable to you. Uh, but Barbara's been a, a, a practicer of that kind of prayer for a very long time. And uh, the reason I was having a conversation with her is that she and I were recording a podcast for you all uh, that you can hear on the church feed coming out this Tuesday, not just about the practice of contemplative prayer, but about a new offering that we're going to have in our church life starting a week and a half from now. So um, starting on Wednesday, November 1st, you're invited to join Barbara, and she'll be at the main library right here in downtown South Bend in one of the classrooms on the second floor. And this is a simple window of 30 minutes every Wednesday uh, from 12 to 12.30 p.m. where Barbara is going to lead a space for contemplative prayer. Um, I can tell you, um, having had Barbara lead our staff team in this practice already, it's, um, it's deeply accessible for everyone. You don't have to come in with any prior experience or knowledge of it. Um, it's not too spooky. It's just spooky enough. <laughs> and what I mean is that there, there is a sense that you're with other people opening your heart to God, which is a little mysterious. I get that, you know. Um, but if it ain't spooky, I don't know, like, it's probably got to be a little bit woo to be worth it, right? Um, so anyway, I will invite you uh, to be part of that um, any given Wednesday from 12 to 1230 at the main library. But check out that podcast episode coming out Tuesday for more information about that. Um, I know that a lot of these practices, it's easy to talk about them as the things that we do in private on our own. And yet, one of the great gifts of being a church is that we get to do it together. Uh, I mentioned this in the podcast episode with Barbara, and you might have heard me tell this story before. Uh, but years ago when I was in grad school, one of my classmates was a Benedictine monk from Ireland named Cuthbert. And I was sort of, I don't know, uh, starry-eyed at this monk that was in my class. And I thought, what would it be like to be a monk, you know? And so we got to know each other, and I asked him if I could, like, hang out with him sometime and just ask him about his life uh, as a monk. So we went out to Fiddler's Hearth and had some pints of Guinness, and he's from Ireland, and so that seemed appropriate. And... Um, and I, I was asking him all these questions about life in the monastery. And I think he could tell that I was starting to put him on a pedestal that wasn't really fitting. And he actually cut me off. He interrupted me. He said, hey, man, can I stop you for a second? He said, like, I didn't become a monk because I'm so spiritual. It was so, so simple. He said, I just became a monk because I'm like, I'm desperate to pray, but I don't know how to pray without a community. Just that simple. It's like he just had a longing within him to open his heart to that promise of the Spirit, and yet he had found that the only way for that to work for him was to do it in community with other people who were seeking it too. And so, um, so Wednesdays might be a way that you want to be a part of that. I mean, we certainly pray together on Sundays, but if you'd like a little bit more of that space, uh, plan on showing up at the library on Wednesdays for just that brief period from 12 to 12.30, and I think that'll be really helpful for a lot of us. Now, there's a danger in talking about the spirit who gives life and the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead and the power that overcomes death and sin. And the danger is that it might start to sound as if we're promising one another or that Paul's promising us that when you get the spirit thing right in your life, that everything's going to be easier and smoother. Because if it's the power that raised Jesus from the dead, man, this is like, this is like really forceful stuff that we're getting our hands on, Right? But there are these little hints and nods and moments in Romans where Paul makes it very clear that's not what you can expect. He mentions suffering for a moment there in Romans 8 that you heard. And I actually want to go back to the beginning of Romans 5. So this, this whole unit that we're looking at, Romans 5 through 8, 
um, for all you kind of literary textual nerds, there's an interesting sort of uh, inclusio, which is a fancy word for like the beginning of the passage echoes the, the end of it and vice versa. They kind of mirror one another a little bit with speaking of the spirit and suffering and endurance. And so let me go back to Romans 5, the beginning of this long stretch that we've been in for the last several weeks and see if you notice what Paul does with all of this here. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. So far, so good, right? Like that sounds very powerful, right? But watch this, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Let me go back to that prior slide there. He sets out this progression, um, suffering producing perseverance, perseverance producing character, and character producing hope. Um, it is tempting to think that if we really get the spirit thing right, if we get our hands on this, if we open our lives to it, that somehow that'll like eliminate the suffering that we face. And I'm just here to tell you, I don't think, I, I think really what the spirit does is not that the spirit eliminates our suffering, but the spirit sustains us through it and helps us become the kind of people who can walk bravely and do right things in the face of suffering. And, and that that's a particular kind of hope. When you discover that God is forging within you a certain capacity for the good in the face of all that is evil and broken, that's a, that's a certain kind of hope that he calls us to. Uh, I ran into this pretty profoundly in the last uh, like five or six weeks. Um, so long story short, um, August and early September, had me in um, certain experiences and doing certain kinds of work where I was like hyper in touch uh, with how broken things can be and how things keep breaking. And I mean that um, like individually and in relationship and um, in the world at large, just there's a number of different factors that all came together where I found myself really, really in touch with how things can break and fall apart and fall down and less experientially in touch with healing and how things get put back together. And it was really starting to like break down my spirit a little bit. And I was talking with some friends about this and processing and praying through this. And I thought, man, I have this theoretical commitment. I have this theological conviction that God is healing all things and reconciling all things, that God is holding all things together and putting all things together. And I actually believe the story is moving toward healing and reconciliation, not to entropy and everything breaking down. That's my convicted belief about these things. But my experience in the recent season was much more in touch with all that sin and death stuff, all that brokenness. And so I, I set out with a, a very clear intention, I actually like wrote it down. I was like, I'm going to spend the next four weeks just looking for, trying to pay attention to all the ways that God is putting things back together. All the ways that the spirit of life is at work in the world, even while the spirit of death rages on in the world. So I set out with a very clear intention. I wrote it down and then everything went to crap. <laughs> and I don't mean that in a small way. I mean like, um, and a couple of different fronts, I found out like people I love were going through harder things than I had ever known and I didn't know about it until the last few weeks. And it ripped my heart out of my chest. And then I checked the news, you know, in the last couple of weeks and see what's happening 
between the Israelis and the Palestinians and feel the enormous complexity of that and the suffering entailed with that. And it's not just theoretical. Um, like I've talked about, I've been over there like a half dozen times. I have friends who are Israelis and friends who are Palestinians. And the towns that have been in the headlines in the last couple of weeks are places I've been to over and over again and sat in their homes and heard their stories. And for a second, I'm like, this is getting a little bit Shakespearean, God. Like I'm a little bit tired of like the irony and the tragedy of it. But the realization that has emerged for me in all that is like, oh, I forgot something that I used to know. The promise of the Spirit isn't that like God's going to fix everything around you right away. It's that the Spirit's going to sustain you through it. But that's the starting point for all of this. If it's the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, don't lose this, right? Don't miss this. It's not like the Spirit like stopped the spears and the nails before they made their way to Jesus, right? It's not like the Spirit dismantled death before it ever came for Jesus, right? Rather, the text says and the story tells us that the Spirit in and through Christ came through death and then raised him up, right? I don't think the Spirit promises to fix everything around you tomorrow if you open your heart and we begin to live in this life of power that God promises. I don't think it's the promise that things get fixed all around you. I think it's the promise that a life gets lived within you and comes through you. It's a sustaining hope, a love that carries us through these things so that suffering becomes perseverance, and so that perseverance gets forged into character, that we become different than we are today. Not that God overrides all that's good and beautiful about you, but that all that's good and beautiful about you gets forged in character. And that as we become, as we grow up, as we learn what it is to live in the flow of love, a kind of hope emerges in us. Because even while things break around us, we discover another life being lived through us that one day will have the final word. And so I wouldn't want to, um, you know, give a mistaken impression about what we're saying to one another here. We're not saying that this spirit that raises us to new life immediately deals with all the death around us, but we are saying that this spirit sustains us, even as God is doing God's work in the world at large. The end of Romans 8 comes to a kind of, a kind of peak moment of declaration as Paul writes this letter. And the backdrop on it is that he's speaking to people who are going through hard things, who see the world breaking around them and between them. And then with that backdrop, this is what he says at the ends of Romans 8. He says, what then shall we say in response to these things? And the, these things he's talking about are all the broken places, all the fractures, all the evil that they are up against, because it's still there. They're still up against it. But he says, what shall we say in response to these things? And then he says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sorrow? Those are not theoretical things for the people he's writing to. He's naming their experience of all that sin and death that has come for them. But he says, no, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God 
Let us in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Paul is written with fire and fury because he wants to protect the fire that's burning among these people. And it's, uh, it's the fire that the Spirit gives. It's a love that burns in them, that will sustain them even through hardship. That even while death rages all around them, that they trust that they too will be raised up. And so uh, the invitation today is for us to take seriously the gift of God's presence with us. Not just an idea, not just a sermon, not just words on a page, but the gift of God's presence with us. Speaking to us of the power of resurrection in the face of death and speaking to us of our belonging with God as beloved daughters and sons, children radically welcome and wanted in the house of God. I thought we would uh, take a moment here before we conclude to quite literally breathe that in. Um, some of you mentioned it in the open floor. Uh, scripture often speaks of the spirit as breath or wind. Jesus breathes the spirit into his disciples and John, in a strange way, it says he breathed on them and they inhaled the spirit. And it's strange, but also that might take your memory back to that very first moment when to be human was to be dust in the ground until God breathes God's spirit into that dust and makes us alive. It seems it's always been the story that we are dust and spirit and that breathing is somehow a part of that. And so um, not unlike the practice that I recommend for you this week, why don't we take a moment, if, if you'd like to be a part of this, in a practice of breathing and reflecting. And then when I'm done with that, uh, we'll sing together a little more. But first, if you'd like, uh, maybe put your feet flat on the floor and choose a posture of presence. And I'm going to simply invite you to breathe um, in and out slowly and deeply. And as you do that, to allow that breath to be a meditation on these gifts that Paul promises. And so now, uh, if you'd like, breathe in deeply. And as you breathe in, know that it's not just oxygen, but the breath of God. And breathe out. And as you breathe in deeply, know that it's life that God breathes into us, not death. And breathe out. And as you breathe in, know that it's love that God breathes into us and love that God pours through us out into the world. As you keep breathing deeply and slowly, as you maintain a posture of presence, imagine, if you will, that you are where you feel most seen, known, safe, wanted, and beloved. It might be that that imagination takes you to a the kitchen table in your parents' home where for some of us we've had the blessing of parents who made us know that we were wanted and beloved. For others, it's uh, the presence of your closest friends. And they may not be here today, but you have been with people who made you feel seen, safe, wanted, and beloved. 
For some, maybe it's um, here among these people called Southland City Church, I hope. That you experience that sense of belonging and family. But wherever you have tasted that, sensed it most deeply, may you carry that feeling forward to this moment as you continue to breathe in and out and welcome the Holy Spirit who speaks on our behalf and in our own voice calls out to God as beloved father, beloved mother, naming ourselves as beloved children. May we be people who learn how to surrender and consent to the good gift of the Spirit who sustains us in all things in love. If you're able, will you stand? Before I offer a benediction, just a reminder, next week is family dedication, which is a really sacred gathering for us. So I hope that uh, we'll all show up uh, to see and affirm those families and to make our commitments to walk with them. Uh, So don't miss next Sunday. Uh, That being said, may we tell the truth about what we are up against. Sin and death rage in the world and in our lives, and we know it, and so we say it. But may we know the deeper truth and the more profound promise that the spirit of life is given to us, sustaining us through every hard thing and promising to raise us up. May we be revealed as sons and daughters, beloved children of God, who join God in God's good and enduring work in the world, knowing that in the end, love will win. And may grace and peace be with you. Amen. Love you all. See you next week.